0: So we're in what? And let's make sure we're here. First started in First Kings in the Old Testament, right? Everybody's still reading about kings? About had enough kings? What's on your mind about First Kings 7 and on? Talks a lot about Solomon through this, doesn't it? I don't have questions. Now I'm going to ask you some. So. Yes, you did. <laughs> yes, ma'am, Miss Teresa. It says the tablets were the only thing in it. I caught that. That's the first time I'd ever seen that myself when I read that. I, I'm, I'm guessing the rest of it got taken out somewhere. Did y'all ever pay attention to that? It's just a, the tablets were the only thing in the Ark when they brought it into the temple. I, yeah, it, but it never mentions where it went as far as I know. There should have been something. Well, of course, if they had it, well, what Aaron's staff, was it didn't stay in there, so that's a, that makes a difference on that. And yeah, that's the first thing I'd seen on that. Uh, what else? It doesn't explain it, so I guess there was a reason for it. You would think, though, that somebody would have taken those out because would not the art captured for a while, or did they still have it? I'm not sure at that point in time. Chapter 8, I found something I was going to ask you guys about. Just 1 Kings 8, uh, verse, uh, let me see, verse 8. And it's talking about bringing the ark in. And it said the poles were so long that the ends could not be seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary, but not from the outside. And they are still there today. How do you handle that piece of Scripture when somebody says, isn't that a error in Scripture? Are they still there today? It's context. But you'd be amazed how many people who are, are looking at the Bible and, and considering... Faith will look at that and go, that's got to be wrong. But it's important to read in the context of what you're reading and and you have to, and we have to read scripture that way. But uh, some of the things that you run into, yeah. But it's easy to read it that way, and it's easy to get a question from that point of view to say, well, why isn't it there today if it says it is? But uh, it, it's real critical to understand context when you're reading, reading particularly the Old Testament. But uh, I think it that was the history that was passed down and they just, they just didn't change it. In other words, when it was written, he made a reference to the fact you can still see it there today. It's kind of like in the New Testament when, when Paul is writing and he's talking about seeing Jesus, and he said over 500 saw him, and some of them are still alive today. So it's, it's just a point of, of of making a point and making a statement, and I think they leave it as the only thing that, that, that I can place on it as far as value and importance. And uh, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. What, we wouldn't be priming our minds, would we? No, right. They even the scribes, they copied, you know, letter for letter, and it was checked and double-checked, and, and uh, it had to be that way, which is the reason we were able to have the Scripture passed down to us in the form it's in. Now, right, what else you see in there? <laughs> yes, it did. It was quite an ornate place if you look at it and read through it. Chapter 9, I had something else here I saw before we get over to the... We might get past the palace, but there was a lot put in the palace. But look at chapter 9 for just a minute. and and, uh, About verse 5, and he's talking about his covenant with Solomon. God is, and he said, I'll establish your royal throne in Israel forever, as I promised David your father when I said, You shall never fail to have a man on the throne. The next verse starts with what word? But... Everything God does with Israel is conditional. You know, everybody we, we think sometimes that, that God is an automatic with with us in our lives, but there are conditions. There are even conditions when we're saved. We're we're saved without any without any uh, doubt there, without any any uh, problem with our salvation. But there's even conditions on that to do good works, to witness to do those things, but it's a conditional covenant if you look at it. But he said, if you and your sons turn away, then he talked about cutting Israel off. And and we know in the Old Testament, when you go through it, we were just talking a few minutes before everybody came in. God killed a lot of people in the Old Testament, a lot of Israelites in the Old Testament when they disobeyed. and uh, We keep that in mind. Then something pick up and interesting to me in verse 15 and we hear all about Solomon and his goodness. And, and, but look at verse 15. And he said, here's account of the forced labor King Solomon used to, to build everything. One of, his, one of his negative attributes was what? Anybody know? Besides the women. We'll get to that in a minute. He was really a cruel, pretty cruel guy in the sense of he worked. He, in order to do everything he did, he used a lot of forced labor. And he forced people into years and years and years of working under almost slave conditions. Now, he didn't punish them. But uh, if you read through this, he, he was a pretty tough bird. I mean, he had a mindset to accomplish all these things. And, and he really wasn't too worried about his subjects and what it cost, if you really look at it in his life when you go through it. And then he kind of just goes into a lot of details about his about his Navy and different things. and. And the Queen of Sheba, what did she think about him? <laughs> she came and, and and it gives a description of Solomon. I think it's hard for us to uh, to even comprehend of how much he had and just how spectacular this place was. Because you know she said she said not half of what I've been told is true. Once I've seen your courts and your servants and your cupbearers and and your sacrifices and everything, so. It's probably hard for us to imagine just how much he had. I was just looking down through the uh, passages here in verse 28 in chapter 9. It talks about how much gold. That was amounted to about 504,000 ounces of gold a year that he received in, just, just from that. And then uh, what verses 10, 10, and 11 is what she brought, 120 talents. That's 144,000 ounces of gold. Six hundred and sixty six talents, that's eight hundred thousand ounces of gold. <laughs> and you think you start thinking about this, large shields made of entire gold weighed fifteen pounds, the small ones weighed six pounds. Now you think about a fifteen pound piece of gold. And where it's I forget where it says here one place, he made silver and cedar as common as rocks on the ground. So this was a pretty I mean this this guy was was, was living I did a study on him one time and I said you know he had he far exceeded anything we could ever imagine he had it all he tried it all he had access to everything in the world and in the end he says it was all it was all for naught you know it's all vanity so it's it ought to be a pretty good lesson to us but uh, and it just goes down through a lot of his things his possessions his horses and everything that he had but now here's the deal what you get into with his wives what happens here where, yeah, go ahead. Where are you going with that, though? It's not that he had a lot of foreign wives, a lot of pagan wives, and he had a woman problem. But that's not what caused him so much trouble. What was so much trouble that ended up causing him? What really got him in a fix with God? They led him into false worship, particularly when he got older. And he built all these temples to Moloch and places like that. And then, I mean, he actually had temples built for these wives that he actually ended up worshiping in to gods what to, to religions that sacrifice children. And so, you know, and, and, and God God finally got enough of that down in chapter eleven, verse nineteen, it said the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away. And said, Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to him, Since is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant. And he goes on and talks about he strips it away from his son after he's gone. And turns right around and brings somebody in to conquer Israel, and and you know to have this much, and for God to bless somebody this much and turn around and say, "But you didn't honor." Him. I mean, there's a really good lesson there for us, I think, because he, you know, it's a good point of interest. There is a point to where God says, "Enough is enough." Just whatever they wanted, because he was the filthy rich, it didn't it didn't make any difference. And uh, but and it's just it's just hard to imagine, but. Uh, but he gets a pretty good perspective on life before it's over, and then the kingdom gets in. If you read on through, the kingdom gets into some issues and gets divided. Because, funny thing, we was laughing about earlier today. I think one of his sons comes in to take over, and Israel and Israel is still one kingdom, and they, the, the subjects come to him and say, you know, we've been left out of this, and uh, we would like to be reestablished and, and, and have and have some priority here. So him being young, he asked the elders what to do. He said, You go away for three days and let me ask the elders. So he talked to the elders, and the elders said, If you will care for these people and treat these people well and reestablish them, they'll be your servants for life. He talked to all the young guys he you grew up with, and they said, make it harder on them. Guess who he sided with? <laughs> we were laughing about young people taking the territory. We it's just joking. We we're just joking. But they but he sided with the young folks and actually increased the burden on them, which ended up dividing the kingdom and causing a war. So you would think he would have learned through this, being you know, his dad being Solomon, but but he didn't. And, uh, and so he actually made the burden on him much harder. What do you notice about kings, the progression of kings in here? What's the one thing you notice? hmm You're on the right track. And, and what? If you look at their reign, though, and look at what happens to them, what what is the, what is the one thing that you see all the way through? They get worse. It seems it progresses. You know, there was one part in Israel when judges were good judge, bad good, but as these if these kings come into, it just seems everyone is a little bit worse and a little farther away from God, and just a little bit of, a little bit more, of, of a destruction to Israel itself, and uh, and you would think that it would be the opposite. But it's amazing how quickly people who are that close to God can pull away and get into that situation. And even Solomon, to have been blessed by God like he was blessed and turn right around and worship a false god, I mean, that's just hard to fathom. I mean, it's, it's hard to think that, that you would let yourself get into that. And uh, one of the things that I thought was interesting about going through these passages, if we look at them, what else in Kings, guys? I don't know. I was looking at that myself. I, I think he's referring to the pain involved in it. I think, inference, I'll, I'll check on that some more. But a whip would hurt one way, but a scorpion would hurt a lot Hurt a lot worse. Now, I don't know of anything that they would call that, but that. Well, and like I say, they may. I, because I haven't spent a lifetime in the Old Testament either, so... <laughs> But uh, but it is an interesting question. But it, but it, I think the main thing in inferences is, is, is a worse treatment, a worse pain, a worse torture, a worse treatment, or whatever. And if you really read back close, Solomon was hard on folks. I mean, you know, he had a he had a determination to get what he wanted done. It wasn't that he didn't have things, but he had he had these grandiose plans, and that was his deal. It was all about what he accomplished, what he did, what he had to show the world, and. Uh, in the midst of that, still ruling Israel, Israel as the wisest man that ever lived and the richest man that ever lived, probably, even today, because he had access to stuff from all over the world and, and brought it in. Okay, anything else in Kings? When you get over towards 15 and 16 and 17, they start killing each other off pretty good. Family have family. Mm-hmm. The only thing I can tell you is God didn't give him that message. I don't know. I read through that passage two or three times myself. Hmm. I think I think it might be what it's referring to, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna stand on that because I don't know for sure in that. But it was kind of a it kind of an interesting take off on each other, and why he ended up like that. But uh, he said, and I think in verse 18, he said the old prophet answered, "I am too a prophet as you are." I have, I think one of the things he said here, and the angel said to me by the word of the "Lord, bring him back." I had a note here that says, "God will talk to you, but not through someone else." It's one of the things I've always. I always said, if somebody comes to you and it says they got a word for the Lord for you, we'll just tell them to keep it because God can talk to you. He don't need to send it through somebody else. That's very dangerous. And uh, it might have been part of what was going on here. And then when he got into the thing about the lion and the donkey, I hadn't figured all that out yet either. I'll just tell you. <laughs> There's some stuff in the Old Testament that God just didn't mean for us to totally understand, I believe. Let me see. Hang on. And then in, in chapter 17, of course, it's about where we're supposed to end up. They, we get into Elijah and the drought and the things that are going on there, which is a little bit more familiar territory with us when we're, when we're looking into uh, Old Testament stories that we identify with and, and know. But, uh, so no more questions on kings up to this point, huh? Well, I'll tell you one thing about a donkey. He can survive anywhere. He, didn't, he, didn't, he sure goodness and didn't require a whole lot of care. Like in the Grand Canyon, they use mules, not horses. You know why? Sure-footed. A mule will not put his foot down somewhere he can't, he can't see and know it's safe. And a horse is skittish, and a mule is very sure-footed, and, and that's one of the reasons donkeys, they were, they were plentiful, and uh, he could live anywhere. You didn't have to fool with him much. I mean, he just, I think, is one of the reasons. And Plus, Solomon, he shipped horses, really horses. He had them, but he shipped them in. I mean, you know. So they weren't plentiful, except to him, and he had thousands of them. But, but I would say probably that's that's one of the reasons on the donkey. I mean, you know, he just a rascal, he just go forever. And uh, okay, where we at now? With this New Testament, if y'all through with Kings, we'll go to Acts. There's some good stuff in Acts, really good. All right, what do we start out with in Acts seven? What's going on there? Stephen's sermon. What's he do? Yes, he did. And then he talked ugly to him right at the end, which got him killed. But he called it what he saw. Yeah, he did give him a history lesson. It's it's a, it's his sermon, and I mean, he just he literally lays out the history of Israel and God's working with them. and uh, and it's a beautiful sermon if you read through it because I mean, you know, he's he's not putting anything in it personally. He just he's just he's just laying it on the line, and then a. Um, But verse 51, you can't help but appreciate what he had to say and and because he probably knew what was coming at the end of it. But he waxes eloquently on all this stuff about Israel and all these leaders. And then in verse 51, what does he say? He says, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You're just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. So he pretty much just trashed the whole religious society of Israel in one in one paragraph there. But did he tell them the truth? Yes, he did. He sure did. And, uh, and then, of course, that, lead, that leads to what? It leads to his death and his stoning, and uh, and his martyrdom for what he had to say. And uh, and of course, the interesting thing about his stoning is what Saul was standing there, kind of sanctioned it, but actually held the coats and uh, and, and watched it. And so, isn't it ironic that he let something like that happen, and he turns around to be the greatest preacher that's ever lived? You know, and. Uh, And you would wonder why God would let Stephen, who is absolutely on fire for what is right, go so quick. Those are the kind of questions you can't answer when you're looking through Scripture. Now, where are you at now? Old Testament? Yeah, we moved to Acts. Go ahead and ask it, though. Probably the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Angel of the Lord, I wouldn't say God appeared to him. Yeah. Well, even God appeared to Moses. He couldn't look at him. I don't... don't. I don't know that he had an encounter with him. I'd have to look at it a little bit closer. But uh, And sometimes it says the of the Lord, and sometimes it don't. And there may be a difference there. That's something I'd have to look at real close. I don't know for sure on that. But either way, it's coming from a higher power, isn't it? <laughs> That's the main thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yes, ma'am, it does. It does. Proverbs will, will, will kind of put you in your place real quick when you're looking at it. Kind of an interesting passage here that I've been dealing with. Actually, <coughs> spoke on it a little bit in the first service, and uh, it's a passage that I'm working through for for a school class of God, and it's over in, in Acts eight, and particularly starts with the the Ethiopian story, the Ethiopian eunuch being saved. But uh, backing up, after uh, Stephen was stoned, what what happened in Jerusalem? What did what did Paul do? He started persecuting the church, so it scattered all the believers. So Philip, who was one of the deacons there, they're scattered. And you find him in verse 4 again, in verse 4 in Acts 8. It said, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed Christ there. And when the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks evil spirits came out of many. And many paralytics and cripples were healed, so there was great joy in that city. So you have you have Philip, who was a deacon, who has been pushed out, but he's somewhere else ministering. He's preaching. It's a revival of sense. There's people being saved. And uh, and then in verse twelve it said, "But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news in the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and men, men and women." And then. And then you go down to verse twenty six and you find this passage of scripture and it says, An angel of the Lord said to Philip, I want you to go somewhere because I got somebody that needs to hear about God. Now and, and, and really when you get into this, you know the story. He goes down and finds the Ethiopian on the road home, reading Isaiah, and he talks to him in the chariot and ends up bleeding in Christ. That passage in there is a wonderful example of personal evangelism, if you look at it. Because here's Philip. He's busy. And he's legitimately busy. He's preaching. He's casting out evil spirits. He's healing people. People are getting saved. He is churched to right here. Legitimate, good stuff. And God says, oh, by the way, I want you to go out in the desert. What would be the normal response for most of us there? God, I don't have time to do that. I need to do this. But he doesn't do this. And there's, and there's some points, I think, about personal evangelism is we have to be ready, we have to be responsive, and listen to God, and be obedient, and, and be resourceful. And let me show what I'm talking about. So Philip goes out where he tells him to go, and he sees this man in a chariot, and God says, go up to the chariot. He still don't know what's going on. And, and I love the passage you Virginia reading through it. He said, the man's reading Isaiah. What's one of the biggest problems when you're trying to witness to someone? What's what's the first barrier you have to get by? Huh? Their attention. How do you start the conversation? How do you get into a conversation that's going to lead to God? Resourceful, creative. That's one of the things that, uh, that, that we've been dealing with in one of the classes I took is how to pay attention. What did Philip do? He walked up and he heard him reading Isaiah and he said, what? You know what you're reading? Perfect in line. He had it, you know. And the guy says, no, unless you tell me. So he gets in, he shares with him, and the guy ends up getting saved. But if you really study through the passage of Scripture, it's it's a great passage on, on personal evangelism because God ordained the event. He said, I want you to go. He ordained the circumstances because he had the man where he wanted him. You witness to somebody in the coffee shop in the morning just by chance. You didn't plan it. They didn't plan it. God did. He provided everything Philip needed, which was what? The Word of God and the Holy Spirit. And, and the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Which the man accepted. But he never and, and when we do that, he never holds us responsibility for the results. We're not responsible for the results, just go. And and one of the things that then I then I look at in this passage when I look at it is one of the areas we're failing miserably in the church today is personal evangelism. Because it scares us. Because it Oh, no, we've got to go out and knock on the door, you know. <laughs> we, we've got to tell somebody about Jesus. We've got to go, hey, are you saved? And that's just exactly the opposite of what God shows here, you know. And, and evangelism too too much in the church today is a program where we come and we go and do. What happened here? God had somebody looking for, looking for Jesus. And all he'd done was told Phillips, I need you to go down here. And he went, I need you to find this guy. I need you to talk to him. Let me worry about the rest. And we get to celebrate with angels in heaven when somebody gets saved. And and that's why I think it's probably, when we get so tense about it, I think this passage shows us it's probably one of the simplest, easiest, and most rewarding things God has ever told us to do. Because it's not an option, is it? It really is the Great Commission tells you it's not an option. And it's the thing we're not doing. We're doing a lot of church stuff good, but we're not doing that. But I just think it's a great example to, to look, because Philip didn't have any details. Philip was already busy, but God just routed him this way, said, I need you to do this. And when the guy got saved, what did God even do for Philip? What happened to him next? He brought him back just just in the air. I don't know how he did it. But that just, I think God just did that to say, look, I was totally in charge of this whole thing. And I just I like that passage because I think it's a good example of what we ought to be doing every day. And um, I was sharing earlier. I had taken evangelism class last year with a guy His PhD was in evangelism, so it was not a crip course. <laughs> we had to go out every week and 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 literally talk to people. And his point was, if you go out in prayer prayed up and expecting, you won't have to find them. And you know what? He was right. They were always there. The opportunities always presented themselves. You'd go somewhere, and you would be thinking nothing about witnessing to somebody, and inadvertently, it would just drop in your lap because God is always bringing those people that need to hear about Jesus by. We had one guy out to sell a quick story, and I'll get back on track. He was a young minister of music over in Mount Juliet, <laughs> and he said, I had one of those days at church that I just wanted to kill everybody there. He said, it was just one of those days. And he said, so I went to lunch, and he said, I went out to a little country store. He said, I got me a Coke and a sandwich, and I sat down over there by myself in a corner where nobody would know me. He said, I just needed an hour of peace. And he said, I no more sat down, and the guy sat down in the corner next to him, and he said, when I looked at him, I thought, well, he's there's something wrong with him. He said, the guy sat there a minute and looked at him. He said, have you ever had a day that was so bad you just thought about killing yourself? And he said, I knew he wasn't kidding. And so he ended up talking to this man about an hour who had lost his family because of a job loss, had got another job, got everything back together, got going, and the company he was working for now just went out of business and laid him off again. And so he actually got him invited to church and got him some help to keep him from maybe doing something serious that day. And he wasn't. He Matter of fact, he was doing the opposite. He was trying to escape talking to somebody. And God still provided a need. So I think that's one of the things we look at. When, I, when you read that passage and look at it, God had somebody that needed Jesus, and God had somebody that would listen and go. And that's what put them together. One thing about this Ethiopian Union, you know, when you didn't get a copy of Isaiah if you didn't have some clout and a lot of money and be able to read it, so he was educated. Another thing, there's some argument of whether he was a Jew, whether he was a proselyte Gentile, a believer, because it said he had went to worship, but he wasn't saved yet. We know that. So we don't know about that. And he. Very possibly, he might not have been a eunuch. Sometimes that's a title they put in that position. But he wasn't a member of the Jewish community, I don't think, most people say. Lots of them. The overwhelming thing is he had come to worship. So that tells you something about him. He had made that long journey to worship in Israel at a festival day. And, uh, and, and whether or not... The key, the key to the whole passage is he did not know Jesus, but he was searching and God found a way to get him there. And that's the key for us, I believe, that there are people searching. And God is able to reach them, but he needs us to do the in-between work. And it costs us nothing, really, but a little bit of retirement, just rerouting the way we do. And really, 99% of of our, of our, our, our witness work will be done in our normal routine. God's not telling us in the car in the morning, drive to Bordeaux, and stop on the corner and witness to somebody and then come back. God how many of us have got a double handful of people right around us that are probably lost? We all do. And God will help us reach those people, I believe. And don't want to get off on that passage too much, but I really like it. I just I, I just think it it really speaks to the to the core of what we're supposed to be doing in our faith. As well as ministering and other things, but But that's the first thing. I I listened to Andy Stanley's sermon online at the convention this year, and he had an interesting quote. He said, everybody lives somewhere forever. The question is, where is your forever going to be? And he said, for all of them that don't know Jesus, the forever is hell. And he said, there's just not any other way to put it. And if you think about that, and he said, if we truly believe that, it ought to change the way we... He had an interesting quote, I don't know... I don't know how some members of the church would take this, but he said, we have created our church today to keep people instead of reaching people. Now, I don't know what it means, and I don't agree with everything Andy Stanley does church-wise. But he's a great communicator, but that statement has a lot of ring to it. If our energy is more towards keeping people than reaching people, maybe we need to think about what we're doing. Because I think if the Spirit's alive and we're reaching people, we won't have a problem keeping people because it'll be so exciting they won't go anywhere. That's kind of kind of my take on that, so... All right, what happens next in Acts? Moving on. Any, any more questions on any of that? That passage is a great passage. There's about four different routes you can take in that passage to teach or preach on. There's a really about three or four different avenues you can pursue in it about about the eunuch, about the evangelism part of it, whatever, but it's a really good passage. And by the way, let me show you one thing real quick before we get along. In some, in some translations... There's a passage of the scripture that's not in there. He's in the very passage where Philip, he asks if he can be baptized. And Philip says, if you believe with all your heart. Now, some, my, my home one has it in it, this NIV don't. Some don't have that passage in it. Some say he didn't say that. Some say he did. So when you see it in there, don't freak out over it. <coughs> but but <coughs> he says that, and then they get down and baptize the eunuch. So so just a little bit difference in some translations of scripture. All right, what happens in verse 9, in chapter 9, that's that's an absolutely critical thing to our faith? What's going on in Acts 9? Huh? Saul's conversion. Yes, sir. Pretty interesting thing. And then God takes the very guy that's causing the most trouble and says, zap, blinds him on the road and, and takes him through this journey. Takes him through this journey of becoming what he is in our faith and, and uh and even other people looked around, you know, and thought, are you sure you want us to go witness to him? <laughs> are you sure you want us to go heal him, you know, and work with him? And, uh, and so, and then in Acts, and you have that conversion, and then in, then, in right at the end of, of, of chapter 9 in Acts, we get into something else that's critical for us. What happens here? Talks about Paul's conversion, then he comes back to Peter, and what? Gospel does what here? Goes to the Gentiles. Exactly. He opens the door. He opens the door very quickly. He does it with Cornelius. And you know the story there. Cornelius has this vision. God tells him, so he goes and calls Paul, and Paul has a dream about the sheep and all the different foods on it three times and 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 they end up, you know, coming to visit each other and what and, 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 and Peter ends up doing what? He ends up baptizing the whole house. Because he realized what God had said. And uh, And uh, spent the time with him. Let me see if I can find a particular passage out of it. 30, 34. Yeah, uh, Peter's first Gentile sermon in verse 34, chapter 10. Then Paul began to speak. I realized how true it is, and Peter began to speak, that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. Amen to that, or we wouldn't have had a chance. And then he goes on down through it, and he says, while Peter was still speaking the words of the Holy Spirit over in verse 44, came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come into Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. When he goes back, they get all over him. You know, you did what? So you still have this legalism thing going on. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, verse 47, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have, so he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and then they asked Peter to stay with them a few days. So you have the you have the initiation of the Gentiles into the faith here, and so Acts, Acts plays back and forth. It spends about the first part of it with Peter, and then it's fixing the transgression in a minute, in a minute, and into, into Paul's missionary journeys. But um, but right now we're still dealing with 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 Peter in this process, and I think ten forty eight is where we ended. That's where we ended in Acts for today. So you have the Gentiles being brought in into favor, being brought into the faith, and, and, and this, this struggle starts throughout this journey, as we'll see when we're reading with Paul, where there's these questions, well, are they a Gentile, but don't they have to be circumcised, don't they have to do this, don't they have to do that, and they go through all these things in the next few weeks of reading about, about working out the faith, to where we can, we can join everybody together through this process. Anything else there in Acts before we, before we dump out it? When we're through, we're through now. So if you got a pressing question, don't hold it back. Go ahead. Acts 9 and 16. All right, let's see. 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings before the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. No, I think it's, I think it's a suffering. Because, yes, he did. Oh, more so. Well, I think when it's over in Philippians, when he gets into bragging rights. I think so. Let me look here in just a minute. I'm trying to look for something else. I don't, 15, 9, 15. I don't have a commentary on that much in mind. Is anybody else? Oh, I'm sorry. In in, in verse 15 in, in Acts 9, it's where the Lord... But the Lord said to Ananias, it's when he sends Ananias to see Paul, and he says, This man has chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings, before the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Well, the question was, is that physical or is that, uh, is that something more? I mean, is that, uh, he's wondering suffer, suffering? he said suffering, he just not know if he was just talking about physical suffering there. Yeah, I think when we say suffering too, we always think about pain or hurt or injury. And suffering can be separation, loneliness, isolation, forsaking, whatever. You know, other people might have family and homes and businesses. And Paul, at the end, had nothing, you know, and he, and he said he didn't. And, uh, but I think, I think that's what he's talking about just in general, what it's going to cost him. Because who is Paul before this happens? He is a Pharisee of Pharisees. He is educated. He is a Hebrew. He is up here. He has no wants, no needs. He's, an excellent, he's in excellent condition to live a fat and happy life like the rest of the Pharisees, and, and he's educated under one of, the, one of the top people of that day. I think it's in Philippians where he gets into, they get to talk about who they are, and he said, oh, if you want to brag, I'm a Pharisee, a Pharisee, I'm born of Hebrew parents, and he goes down his list. And then, the, and then the other passage, when they're talking about what he sacrificed, he said, I've been shipwrecked, stone beat, and he goes through a passage about this long, you know, look what it's cost me. And and, and, and it's all, for, you know, it's, it means nothing but, but Christ, you know. So, uh, yeah, I think it, that's because he was giving up a lot at that point when he said yes to Jesus. But really when we say yes to Jesus, we give it all up anyway. He just don't require it from us at the time, but it ought to be his and in his hands. Anything else in Acts? A great book. You could spend a lifetime in Acts just getting a handle on on everything that's going on there because that's, that is that is the faith heading out into the world. I think probably why God chose him because he said, if I get this bird on my side, he won't quit. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. And, and a witness of it, too. I mean, you know, he turned him around, but uh, Paul had a lot of things that you would say, why do you want to choose him? But if you think about it, nobody knew a Pharisee better than Paul. Nobody knew the system any better than Paul. Nobody had any more connections than Paul. And, and I mean, he'd done, he'd done been around the country persecuting. And so God turns him, and when he does, I mean, he's, it, it's like, it's like, a, it's like a, a war general going from one side to the other right in the middle of the skirmish. He's got all the info, all the power, all the connections. And, uh, and of course, we know what happens to it, you know, through history. And what it does, but uh, it's, it's it's an awesome story just to read it and, and watch this conversion, and I mean it was it was pretty much instant. And and then you watch Paul, he puts in a lot of years before he climbs up where he is. I mean he's willing he's willing to go the to go the distance, and he studies and he works, and uh, and and puts in his time with people, and pays his dues so to speak. Okay, anything else in Acts as we we'll go through it? My old Bible's falling apart on me. It's a good one though. I got everything marked. <laughs> I bring it for stuff like this because I feel safer with it up here. <laughs> All right, what about Proverbs and Psalms? I know they're not quite as exciting as some of this other stuff. Sometimes I read a couple of things here and if I can find where they're at. Yeah, it's some of these things you really got to read them to, to understand what they're trying to say. Well, what? what the, let me look at that. Just kicks. Again, anybody com- got a commentary at the bottom? That explains that a bribe may cause one to prosper, but the use of a, such a practice is certainly to be condemned. Okay, he's saying it'll do you good, but it's uh, but in uh, in essence, he's he's making emphasis that it's the wrong thing to do. I think he's warning against arrogant lips are unsuited to a fool. How much worse lying lips? He who covers over an offense promotes love. Seems out of place though, don't it? Yes, it does. I've got a commentary on the Proverbs. I'll look that rascal up. That's pretty good. That's it, buddy. Let's see. I think this one was in here too. Proverbs. 16, right down below the one you just read, 33. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. He's really in charge. He really is. You know, we we go about our deal and we make our plans and we say this and that, but in, but in the end, He's got it figured out. He's got it all figured out. Let me see if I got a couple more here I like. Better a meal with vegetables where there is love than a fatted calf with hatred. That's so true. I had one marked over in fourteen and that's past this, but I'm gonna go back and read it. Fourteen thirty four. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. And sometime in the past I'd penciled in America there. It's just my thoughts. I'm not I'm not on the podium here trying to establish anything, but Got to dig to find some righteousness around. Sometimes in some places. Hang on a minute. I had a psalm somewhere I marked, and I can't find it. Da-da-da-da. Several song of sense this week. Several things on the same picture. Go ahead, buddy. Psalm one thirty four two. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. I, I ain't trying to start nothing. <laughs> I'm just telling you it's in there. Listen, I tell you what, you can sit down and just get quiet and read these and reflect a little bit and just give them a minute. and uh, there's, a, there's a lot to be said. Psalms 121 7 The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over you coming and going both now and forevermore. It's also pretty comforting as well to know that he never leaves. doesn't make you a lot of promises that he can't, that He won't keep. Salvation delivers from sin, but it don't deliver from suffering. It don't de- it don't guarantee wealth and fame and beauty, and it doesn't guarantee you won't get sick. It don't guarantee you won't have tragedy in your life. Unlike what a lot of TV preachers want to tell you today, salvation delivers from sin. The rest of it's just life as we take it. And uh, it's hard to, it's hard to find one of those kind of sermons on the boob tube today. I'm gonna to tell you. Anything else? Any more questions? Can you quote it? Quote it. I believe with all my heart that's one place we need to get back to. And it's not that hard. That's the thing that I guess that so convicts me about it. <laughs> and I forget and I get busy and I miss opportunities. And But it's so easy if you just take a minute and stop. And if you really, really get serious about caring about folks, you'll do it. And Lord have mercy, you get blessed out of it. It's just unreal, you know. And uh, But uh, <clears throat> I think it's something that God would... I think God would overlook a lot of things in a church if they're just a witness in church. You know, said, look, we don't have all this right, but we try and find some people that need Jesus. Uh, I believe it'd be hard for them not to bless you <laughs> to some degree. It's just, it's just my opinion on that. But uh, it's something we need to think about in our lives and just be conscious of who's around us. Well, you know, it may not... Every minute of every day, there may not be somebody next to us that needs the word from the Lord, but uh, I think more than not, he'll put you in touch with some people. And, uh, and you know, and... Uh, and I know all of us, there's days when we're all conscious of that more than others, and there's days like this morning. Today, I've been 908 miles an hour. You know, if it had been a million dollars on the side of the road, I wouldn't have seen it when I went back. And that's bad, because I don't know what I missed. And sometimes you may never get that opportunity back to just say a word to somebody. And, uh, and that's, I heard a guy talking the other night, he was a pastor, and he led this guy to Christ in prison. And the guy told him, he said, well, now, he said, I'm finally happy i settled this in my life. But he said, I don't want you to get the big head because you're the 25th man. And he said, what do you mean I'm the 25th man? He said, you're the 25th preacher that's come and witnessed to me here. And he said, all of you together have finally convinced me that Jesus loves me. And he said, that's the reason I'm here today. So he said, you're the 25th guy. And we laugh about that. But does it really matter how many or who? It don't. You know, it don't. As long as as the message gets there, and and we're not responsible. So anything else, we're responsible to take it. We're not responsible for what they do with it. We we can't save them. But uh, all right, guys, I appreciate it. We're done.